This is Jeremy Kennedy, Bellator Featherweight, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the ProSource Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nemo Spruce, and I am joined by the talented Mr. Kobe Durant, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm okay, buddy. I'm okay. My uh, my torn Achilles is healing faster than expected. Once again, I proved my superhuman genetic at work. But otherwise, things are solid. There we go. The genes. The genes are doing their thing. And someone else who knows a little bit about health and wellness is a gentleman who started off with health clubs. And now he's a commentator at 1FC over in the Asia-Pacific region. It is the one and only, Mitch Chilson. Mitch, how you doing? What's up, Nee? I'm good, man. What's up, Kobe? Hope you're, uh, how'd you hurt your knee? I know, tore my Achilles. You tore your Achilles? Okay, yeah. how'd you do that? It's, it's you know, a long. Badass it's, story? It, it, yeah, but it's, it's too long and. Okay, okay, next time. Next happened time. down in Argentina. Oh, wow. Nice. You should see the other guy. <laughs> I'm sure. I hope it involves heel hooks and running through the streets of Argent, you know, of Argentina. So yeah, I like to hear you gotta, that story. You gotta sometimes. hate heel hooks. <laughs> He's Dutch. I hate heel hooks, man. I hate them. <laughs> I hate the leg attackers. Those are the worst guys. Now, Mitch, on that point, you were a fighter as well, right? Before you yes, turned to media, is that correct? Tell us a bit more about that experience. Oh man, like my mom started me in the Japanese martial arts from like. Like I must have been like five or four, like all the way up until I was 18. And I always did some kind of martial art. In high school, I, I tried like other sports like basketball and tennis. Um, I wasn't very good. <laughs> so I went back to martial arts and like right around a little bit during college, I started like getting back into it. And I really liked Muay Thai. I really liked kickboxing. And I spent a lot of time in the States training it. And then I started competing in it as an amateur, like kickboxer. I competed in Sanda tournaments and amateur Muay Thai stuff and smokers like all over California. It was a great, like it's always been part of my life ever since I was a little kid. And then when I came to Asia, I, I found the opportunity to you know be the first guy on the Evolve fight team. And then like this was like 2008, 2009. And I just, I kept doing it, man, ever since. So Man, we're, we're approaching, must be like 40 years of uh, of martial arts something, you know? Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, like Thailand has a rich history. We've all seen it with Muay Thai and other forms of martial arts. Tell us a bit more about the, the martial arts scene in Singapore, if you don't mind. Well, I came there in 2005 is when I first arrived in Singapore. And it was so close to Malaysia and Thailand and Indonesia, which have rich martial arts cultures, right? So I assumed there would be all sorts of secret underground clubs in Singapore where I could learn from masters and I could find like all these 
you know, great, great people to train with. And when I got here, there was nothing. Like Singapore was purely a uh, emerging economic powerhouse, right? That's all it was. Like their primary export was education. These guys were just so like just brains, just like the whole country. And so they didn't really do any martial arts. and It was so weird. So I had to travel. I was here. I was working for the health clubs and I would travel an hour and a half by bus to find the closest Muay Thai gym. And little did I know, the only Muay Thai guy in all of Singapore, Zig Zack, was there. And he got me started and I had a couple of fights. And then one thing led to another. And before you knew it, I was surrounded by world champions that evolved mixed martial arts. And I was fighting professional MMA for ESPN and then eventually won championships. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride, that's for certain. Absolutely. Yeah, before we get into it, speaking about the leg games, I want to shout out to Husamar Palharis bringing a, a vicious leg game to the sketchy <laughs> mixed martial art promotion near you. Now, Mitch, you have Japanese-American heritage, correct? Yes, sir. My mom is Japanese. And where did you grow up? Uh, Seattle, Washington, pretty much. Oh, okay. Are you a Seahawks fan? 100%, man. Like, going way back to, like, Steve Largent and Dave Craig days. Like, uh, <laughs> like I have a huge uh, Seahawks fan. Right on. As I'm a Seahawks fan as well. <laughs> Is Geno Smith the answer or should they be shopping? I don't know. Like, recently, I don't get to watch, like, because the time zones are so bad right here for, like, Monday night football and Thursday night football. Like, I don't get to keep up on it. My sister has fully... You know, like become like a, a, a the, the sixth man, like she or the twelfth man, right? Like she <laughs> yeah. is the she's the twelfth man, one hundred percent. So I haven't really seen a lot of the current Seahawks news, which it's like ever since they they had that Super Bowl run, like they went there two years in a row. I've ever since then, I've, it's been a little bit sketchy for me. Okay, so getting back to it, what what took you from inside the ring to outside the ring commentating? Well, they started out by in martial combat, right? Like um, I was one of their, I guess, popular stars, I guess. Like I was the guy in the main events and stuff. And to keep me active between the two main events that I, that I did, they were like, hey, we'll just keep you in the public eye and we'll try you for commentary. And I was like, okay, sure. I'd, I'd done acting and, you know, modeling and stuff. So I was comfortable in front of the camera. And Man, the first time I did it was terrible. Like, oh, so many ums and ahs. <laughs> like, fighters just think they can just go right from their put, taking their gloves off to picking up the microphone. And it was so difficult to speak coherently for a long period of time and not ramble and not get sidetracked and go off on tangents and to keep, you know, your thought process controlled and, and disciplined. It was really tough. And, they, they invited me back again when it was actually one championship. And after martial combat, I, I was fighting then. But then after like my last fight, they were like, hey, one of our guys dropped out. Would you like to try commentary again? And I was like, 100%. Let's do it. I'm so much better. I'd done so much TV and stuff. I was ready for this one. Mm -hmm. Got out there. And in the weigh-ins, I started stuttering. And I had <laughs> like... I had such a hard time like doing this live presentation to all these fighters, like to all these like huge names. Like my first fight was like Igor Spirad and uh, Vitaly Big Dash. And I was nervous. And I was like up there in the weigh-ins announcing their weights and their names and I was messing it up. I had a big iPad. I didn't even have cue cards. It was terrible. 
And on the night, I did a little bit better because I got my mess ups out of the way. And so they were like, oh, that was okay. You know, thanks for trying, you know, and then something happened again, but I liked doing it. I really enjoyed driving a show and talking about the fighters and bringing certain things to make these guys stars and putting the spotlight on them. It was fun, you know, and they're my friends too. So I enjoyed making, making them into like something bigger than life. It was a lot of fun for me. So I went back and practiced. I'd watch fights on silent and I would commentate them and I would come up with, you know, fun things to say about the fighter and their history and the training that they went through. And I also did a reality show where I was one of the judges and I had to come up with these funny things that I said. And lo and behold, one championship had another uh, opening and they were like, would you like to come in and try again? And I was like, yes, I'm ready this time. Let's go. I jumped into the show and I did so much better than the first time that I did it. They were like, yes, we want you to do it. Ultimately, because there was nobody else. Like, there was, like, I wasn't like a, the perfect opportunity to really start doing it because they had no other option. Like, there was, there was no plan B. So I was like, let's go, let's do it. And I started to do it. And I, I just, I went after it with both hands. I was actually the, the head of personal training for a major health club. I actually had my dream job in the health club industry, the personal training industry. Mm -hmm. Um, for since 1999, I've been a personal trainer and I worked and I got the opportunity from those TV shows to be the director of six countries. It was like 2000 trainers under me. And I was like, this is it. Like I had a, I had a nice paycheck. I had a corporate car. I had a corporate apartment. Everything was set. Right. But I was young too. I was like, I must've still been in my late thirties at this point. Okay. And I was like, man, I can always do this corporate thing, but I might not be able to do this commentary thing. I don't know if this opportunity is going to, because commentary doesn't come up much very often, right? That's right. So I had to, I had to quit my corporate job and I went full into a uh, commentary. So you fell in love with it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, it's a, uh, it's a beautiful thing when you can do something that you love. Mitch, I'm getting the sense that in the three phases, whether it was running a health club, fighting or doing commentary, that you had to overcome adversity, particularly with the, the commentary side, how you mentioned how you had to, get over the, the hump initially. What were some of the things that you did to overcome that adversity, like particularly mentally? I mean, adversity is going to come in a lot of different ways, right? Like my my fighting career, like the, the health club stuff was all about helping people. Like it was, you know, I didn't like the focus on the monetary aspect of it, like the driving the numbers, like here in the in Singapore. So that was an easy sort of switch. That was, but that was like a, a I guess an internal crisis, right? Like it was like coming to like one of those existential sort of crossroads in my life where I had to choose a, a, a following or kind of a path that I wanted to go after. Um, so like making those big decisions were, was usually the biggest hurdles that I tried to overcome with fighting. Like the beginning of my MMA career, I was thrown on my head and I tore like seven muscles in my neck and my back before the first one championship fight. And like I had to fight this killer, Eric Kelly, in the first one championship card with like a bunch of torn muscles in my neck and my back, right? So, but, and then I, I did it. That was kind of stupid. That wasn't the smartest thing, like overcoming adversity thing I could have did. I could have, you know, healed and probably had a better performance, but I was never the same after that. So, and nowadays, the, this commentary thing is tough, man. Like, especially the pace at which I do it now, I have to continually get better and better. 
as far as like my presenting goes, my knowledge of the sport that I'm commentating on, because we do so many different sports, right? We do MMA, Muay Thai, kickboxing, and grappling. So I have to can always be studying those things. And then you can never know enough about those four sports or those four martial arts. But like whether it's like getting headaches from doing three shows in 24 hours or whether it's forgetting the fighter's name and you know when you're actually you know talking to the guy in a post fight interview how you can recall these things it really comes down to discipline and and whenever i'm hit with an obstacle or a, a problem i try to stay disciplined as i can to stay focused on what my objective is and my goal and so with everything that i've done and the obstacles that have come up in my way i've always tried to stay sh- as strict as i can in the things that i can control and that's usually how I feel about certain things that come up. And, and now, man, the world's going through a hard time. There's a lot of people going through some hard stuff. And I can only imagine some of the pain people are feeling right now. And it's something that they have to stick to is that there's usually you're going to get over this hump. You're going to get over this challenge and you're going to see, you know, better days ahead. But you just gotta, you just gotta push on and keep your nose to the grindstone and keep going. If there is something you really want to achieve, whether it's starting a business, running a marathon, learning a new language, or competing in your sport, you know, you just have to stay disciplined and strict to it. And we all have challenges and hardships, and it's the really successful people that, you know, that just stuck to it and just kept grinding at it. You know, it's, uh, it's just that human spirit. And I believe discipline is kind of the only thing that I've, that I've learned that kind of keeps me on the straight and there, you know. Now, that was a pretty deep question. I know Kobe's got some, some questions about one that he's dying to ask, but I'll give you some, some lighter questions to, I guess, <laughs> to give you a little bit of a break. Give me some softballs, man. softballs. Give me some softballs. Give me some fun, man. I'll give you some fun. It's going to be quick. So just, just give the first answer that comes into your head. Don't, don't overthink it. So, okay. All right. You ready? Yes. All right. So, Thai green curry or Singapore's bakute? Oh, Thai green curry, man. Especially with the beef and some, some white rice, jasmine rice. Whoo, fire. All right. There we go. And Marina Bay Sands or Phuket Beach? Phuket Beach, man. Marina Bay is hot. That's the places of fun, especially that infinity pool they got up there. But mm-hmm. there's nothing that recharges me like the uh, the beaches of Phuket. All right, one more. So Thailand's currently two zero. Let's see if Singapore <laughs> can is. get one back. It is. Yeah. So Singapore sling or the the Mekong? I don't know if you drink alcohol. I do, I do, and I would have to go. I have to go the Singapore sling. The Singapore sling at the Raffles Hotel, where you can mm. throw the peanuts on the ground. It's like a it's like a thirty dollar drink. First of all, but <laughs> it better be good. The, ex- the experience is so much fun, especially with the peanuts. It makes it kind of a because in Singapore you can't really be dirty. Like you can't right. be you know you can't throw stuff on the ground. But with the peanuts there at Raffles Hotel, that's a lot of fun. Now is it, is chewing gum still outlawed in Singapore, or has that been relaxed over the years? I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's outlaw. Like, it's not, like, you can find it. Like, a couple of years ago, I remember seeing it on the shelf at drugstores as a, as like a smoking deterrent, right? Mm. Like, instead of smoking a cigarette, they had like nicotine gum or that's how it was advertised. Um, but that's kind of gone away. 
Um, nobody chews gum there unless you're fresh off the boat, right? Like you just got to Singapore, like an American that likes gum, <laughs> like they're always chewing gum. And I'm like, and now that I've been in Asia for so long, I never chew gum. Like never. I always just have mints or something like that. But like now chewing gum to me is so out of the realm of the ordinary. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. Mints are definitely yeah, a lot more subtle. So I get it. Mentos are my mint. Like that's I'm always like during a show, like, me and my partner Gianni will eat like an entire thing of Mentos easily. Netherlands, baby. <laughs> Netherlands. There you go. There you go. I I did not know they were Dutch. Okay. Learn something every day. <laughs> Learn something every day with the Pro Source Podcasters. Kobe? Yeah, Mitch, you had mentioned that you're constantly refreshing and keeping up with sort of changing patterns and fights, especially with 1FC where they cover so many different forms of fighting. But something I want to look at, it happened about a year ago, roughly. My favorite fight of 2022 was Rod Tang versus Mighty Mouse Johnson. So you're looking at a fight that has two different rules within the same fight. Did you commentate that fight? Yes, I did. So how difficult was that to prepare for? Not so difficult because I know Rod Tang very well. Like we train together often. And DJ, I've done a full camp with him in Seattle. Six weeks we trained out there in Kirkland. So I know both those guys really well. And they, they were very open with what they were planning to do. Rod Tang was like, I'm going to try to remove his head from his body in that first round. And DJ said, I'm going to choke him unconscious in the second round. Like that's exactly what they said they wanted to do. And like, I thought it would be weird, like the mixed rules stuff, mm -hmm. but it's actually really interesting, especially because you don't have to change gloves, right? You just add the takedowns and then you can't like grapple. You have to get picked back up. It's really an interesting format. I know a lot of people, like I heard some criticism um, about it being like freak show fights and stuff like that, but Man, I like I was really bummed when Anissa Mexen and Stamp Fairtex didn't happen because I was really interested to see what it was, what was yeah. going to happen, you know. And like, there's no there's no repercussions of what ha happens. Like, there's nothing that like their record doesn't get. I mean, they could get physically hurt, obviously, right? And you could lose your you know you have nothing to lose almost except your consciousness, of course. Like somebody could knock you out or they could choke you to sleep, but. There's nothing, it's a win-win situation and it creates this incredible excitement and this fun environment because you don't know what's going to happen. And it was really interesting. I thought it was a lot of, of fun to commentate that fight. I thought it was an amazing fight. Like I said, it was my, it was my favorite fight of the year. I was amped to see it. I couldn't wait to see the, the crossover in styles. And I'm, I'm really hoping one does more events like that just because I've studied a number of different martial arts. I'm interested in many different forms of martial art competition. And to see it combined like that was just awesome. Yeah, I like them. They're, I think they're a good time. I'm interested to see because, like, I bet Nong Oh could fight John Lineker. You know, I bet, like, Super Bon could fight, who's 145, like, Tan Lee or something like that. Like, yeah. there could be some wild fights in the near future if uh, some of these guys are brave enough to jump into other somebody else's sport, you know? Now, you, you've been around the business for a long, long time. How, how do you see or what would you say is the, the biggest change now compared to when mixed martial arts began? Uh, in, in one or pretty much in general? In general. Oh, dude, they're superstars. Ever since Conor McGregor fought Floyd Mayweather, mm -hmm. 
people like me, like these fighters that just had nothing growing up, right? They weren't world champions in anything. They're just really hard workers, you know, and they can grow to the tops of mixed martial arts. These guys can now go fight for eight figure paydays. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous, you know, like that thing that Conor McGregor did into fighting Floyd Mayweather. And now it's not as, I mean, Floyd Mayweather is taking fights against everybody now, but, and, and boxing the way that it's grown and the popularity that's happening with it. Mixed martial arts is a mainstream sport. It truly is. Like I know this, I mean, other than F1, mixed martial arts is probably the fastest growing sport in the world today. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's – that's the most overused term in all of sports commentary, the fastest growing sport in the world today. That's a very overused term. But with mixed martial arts, that's 100% true. We get new fans every single month. When you have fights like Israel versus Pahea, like that fight was their like superstar – mentality donald trump was in the audience that's yep. wild you know it, it's it's really grown and and mixed martial arts stars kickboxers muay thai fighters submission grapplers they have the opportunity to become superstars and not just freak shows anymore it's no longer human cockfighting these are the new gladiators you know of the coliseum that we have that we're living with right now. And it's, it's so much fun to like, sometimes my job gets a little hectic and I just have to remember how appreciative and grateful I am to do what it is that I get to do. So, because I love it so much. I mean, I, I study a fight card for like five days. Right. Mm -hmm. And then on Saturday, I'm traveling back to wherever I live on Sunday. I'll, if I can, I'll spend the whole day watching MMA. Like I love it. I really love it, and I'm I'm really lucky to be able to do what I get to do. Now, I don't know. I'm not sure if uh, Nee had mentioned it, but we're we're based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So yeah, because of the history of mixed martial arts here, and of course the geographical location, UFC is by far number one in Canada. But in Asia Pacific, like, are there one FC dedicated fans, or is it still a crossover with UFC? I think in some countries, we have one dedicated fans because like, you know how big George St. Pierre is in Canada? Exactly. Right. Imagine like he's pretty big, like maybe what, 50, 60% of Canadians know who GSP is? Probably even more. Maybe even more. Yeah. Like, what do you think the number is? It's pro probably three quarters at this point. Okay. So 75%. In Myanmar... A hundred percent of that country knows who Ung La and Song is. Okay. They have gold. They have, they have the Rocky statue. You know the Rocky statue in Philadelphia? Like yeah. they have those in, in Myanmar for him. He, if he ran for political office at some point in time, if they like, if their political environment allowed him to, he would win. Like I can mention his name and show a picture of him at the airport and people just let me do whatever I want. Like, <laughs> It's, it's, un, it's unreal. Like I've never seen, like it's Ronaldo, it's Messi, it's, you know, Wayne Gretzky, it's Michael Jordan. Like it's, he's that type of superstar in this country. And, you know, some countries, one championship rules the combat sports, um, landscape. And even in some countries that you would not even, you know, know, but, you know, because of how diverse we are, how one championship is spread across four disciplines, and there's mm -hmm. probably going to be a fifth. It's only a matter of time before we do boxing, I think. I would have the feeling that eventually we're going to start doing boxing fights. Yeah. More than we did once. We did one. 
a long time ago in Bangkok. But I would imagine that at some point in the next couple of years, we're going to do more boxing. And then we're going five sports. And then when you have somebody who's like, you know, in Japan or the Philippines, like we, we've got these abilities to have these crossover stars, especially in striking. I think when it comes to striking, I strike, I think small gloves Muay Thai is going to change the game. People don't like it when MMA goes to the ground anyway. Like the average fan, they're like, oh, I don't understand what a freaking guard pass is or taking somebody's <laughs> back. That's just like they find it boring when things hit the, hit the ground, right? Like they don't like people lying on top of each other. Watch what happens with small gloves Muay Thai. These guys are so talented. They're the world's greatest strikers in little gloves. And they are fighting for dinner. It is wild to watch these guys fight at these Lumpini cards. They are trying to change their lives with every single punch they throw. It's, it's definitely going to captivate the world. And right now in Thailand, I would bet, I would bet like, or I mean, we must be closing in on like, like 25% of that country is watching these shows. That's amazing. Because we're on main, we're on mainstream TV. Yeah. We're on their biggest channel, channel seven. It's like being like in the States. I don't know if what kind of channels you guys have out there in Toronto, but in the States we have like ABC, NBC, CBS, like yeah. those big cable networks, right? It's like one of those. It's like this Lumpini show is on CBS. It's wild how many people are watching, you know, and nobody knows like, cause they don't like the cage. They find it undignified in Thailand. Yeah. It's not like, it's not a, it's like a, Oh, that's, 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 that's not, that's not proper. <laughs> you know, they're very <laughs> traditionalist when it comes to combat sports, right? They're like, Oh, a cage. How brutal. Uh, but small gloves, moist high. Oh, that's, that's the, that's the game changer right there. It's, uh, it's definitely, it's the West versus the East in, in that, in that manner of, you know, of comparison. Yeah, like you you make a good point that the average fan really isn't into grappling, right? It, you, it takes a a very educated martial arts fan to understand the grappling fully. So, I know a lot of people who are into mixed martial arts, and of course, they know UFC because again, this side of the pond, and they may watch Bellator on occasion, depending on the car. They may watch the PFL on occasion because it's done a pretty good job of growing itself. But a lot of them don't even know what 1FC is. And I always tell them, especially if they're casual fans, that they should try to tune in to some of those events because they are they're fireworks, right? They're absolute fireworks. So hopefully we're, we're expanding that. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. Something I wanted to specifically ask you about that is, again, I have, you know, my father's from the Netherlands, right? So I have that heritage. They've got a rich heritage of kickboxers. Is there a, is there like a fan base for Netherlands kickboxers in one? Well, I mean, we have the, some of the best Dutch kickboxers, you know, in the world. Like, I mean, yes, our guys, some of our guys, like, are they're ridiculous, right? They're megastars, you know? Like, if you look at, you know, Nikki Holskin, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> Rahian Ersel, like, these guys, like, some of our kickboxers, like Marat Gregorian and Typhon Ozjohn and all these, these guys are megastar, super bond, Sidichai. These guys are the best kickboxers in the world. But for some reason, kickboxing, ever since the early 90s, when pride, when like K- K1 was K1, yeah. huge, right? Like Mirko Krokop and those semi-shilt, like those those destructors of, of kickboxing, right? 
Ernesto Host, right? Like these guys were game changers when it came. We haven't found that level of popularity yet with kickboxing. And, and nowadays, because I think the, the kickboxers, man, if, have you guys ever met some really cool, like you're, you're, you've hung out. Have you guys met really cool, like kickboxers from Europe? Uh, well, I mean, an episode coming out with Sadabu Sai, who's in PFL, former kickboxing champion. Oh, most of them are really, they're like cool. They're coolest dude in the room, right? Like they walk in, they're, they're cool enough to wear sunglasses inside, Gucci shirts, like <laughs> Prada shoes. Like these guys are classy. <laughs> these guys are some cool cats, right? And they don't like to talk shit. You know, they don't, you know, they don't go out there and try to humiliate their opponent on the mic. You know, mm -hmm. they just go out there and they just, it's like sophisticated violence, you know, in the U.S., doesn't like that. They like characters. They yeah. like people that are brash and hard and, you know, entertaining and, and talk, you know, and say, I'm going to kill you. It's, it's, it's a different type of a uh, swagger that they got. Right. And that hasn't really clicked. But once we have, uh, once we figure out a way to get people to know them and to know who they are and, and people want to follow them, it, I think it's going to happen. I, I really think people will, you know, fall in love with the striking arts again in, in the very near future. Okay. Okay. And then the gyms in the you know, 1FC neck of the woods, are there more dedicated mixed martial arts gyms like we're seeing over here in North America, or are they still sort of sticking to the traditional martial arts and then you expand from there? Well, lately, for the past two months, I've been in and out of Bangkok and Phuket because every Friday we have these Lumpini shows in Bangkok, Thailand, right? At the mm -hmm. Lumpini Stadium, the Madison Square Garden of the East. That's my tagline <laughs> for this place. Um, so I'm in Bangkok every week. And rather than going back home to Singapore, where my house is, my cat really recently passed away a couple of, like a, a couple of months ago. And there was no reason for me to go home anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I, I spent like three years, like two years in, in Singapore hanging out with my cat. All I really did was hang out with my cat and train and, and call these fights by, you know, cause most of our shows were in Singapore. Yeah. And when I, my, my cat passed away, it, I had this, in, this new free time. So instead of going back to Singapore, I started coming to Phuket and and now I'm in and out of Bangkok and Phuket every, every week. So I've spent probably, this is like my sixth trip out here to Phuket now. And there's no joke in Phuket, Thailand alone. I've seen probably 50 gyms okay. and half of them specialize in MMA. Oh, okay. Right. So they're not just Muay Thai gyms, right? They're these brand new super gyms. Like they're everywhere. And then they got some smaller gyms, but they have these mega gyms everywhere now. They're all over the place. There's these hotels, resorts, smoothie bars. There's this street called Soy Thai Ed in the middle of Chalong Phuket, right? And it's the one Tiger Muay Thai is on. So if you ever watch those embeddeds yeah. where they go, they fly over and they, yeah, they focus on one gym, right? <laughs> That's yeah. right. That, that gym is on a street that is probably straight up a small version of the strip in Vegas of just MMA, CrossFit gyms and healthy restaurants. Wow. There must be, there must be like 30 gyms on this street, 50 restaurants and like must be like 10 or 20 hotels. 
that all specialize in fitness. So people go there and they just train like for months at a time. It's like the island of misfit children. Right? <laughs> Everybody that's running from something somewhere else comes to Phuket and gets super healthy on this street. And now it started to branch out. So now along with CrossFit, like there's some yoga and there's like Muay Thai gyms, definitely a lot of Muay Thai. There's also MMA gyms out here. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's growing with huge popularity. Like when I first came to Singapore, there was no MMA, none. Now there are hundreds of gyms in that country, whether it's BJJ, Muay Thai, boxing, you know, fitness, high end fitness, whatever it is. Like the Southeast Asia has become like a, a mecca to mixed martial arts, especially here in, in Thailand. It's really been crazy to watch the explosion of MMA um, because it's not just in like the United States or Australia or the UK or even up there in Canada where you guys got a national hero who's a mixed martial arts fighter. But it's, it's every, like it's so big now. It's growing so much in popularity and people just understanding, you know, what blending of the mixed martial arts are. Yeah, that significantly eclipses our growth. When it comes to the, the sports market share, what what amount of the the market is encompassed by martial arts in some way there? In in Phuket specifically, or do you think like or like Southeast Asia? In, well, in, let's say Phuket. In Phuket, in Phuket, it's 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 high, man. It's like this place is. I mean, just because, but it's all people are like, you know, why would you go to Phuket? It's just the beach. But it's a community out here. Like there is a, a strong mixed martial arts community. And at any given period of time throughout the month, major stars will be here doing their camp. And some of them now are even starting to open up gyms. Like on that road that I was talking about, Anatoly Malikin, our interim heavyweight champion, mm -hmm. is opening up his own gym. Right? It's, it's not far-fetched for these, you know, these fighters to have their own facilities now. Like it's, it's, it's just, it's so much fun to watch these things grow. And now that I'm here, I'm just traveling around every day and training with different guys. Like last week I was at Bangtao MMA and uh, you know, they're, they're the ones that have like all the, the UFC guys come out there. Yesterday I was at Tiger Muay Thai training out with all the small gloves Muay Thai fighters, you know, like Mohamed Sadeki and you know, uh, Fariar Army Poor. These guys are all coming from, um, uh, uh, the one Lumpini show, but in in the same room as uh, Fabricio Andrade, and it, it's wild. It's wild to see this this island out here is is something different, though. It's not like that in like Malaysia or Indonesia. Bali's got a really good scene. Oh, yeah? Gianni's out there. He's he's opening up a gym in in Bali MMA or not Bali MMA. Bali MMA was the first one, and then they had another one, um, and now he's opening up a new facility, his own facility called The Block out there in Chengdu, Bali. So Bali's got a nice little scene too. But like, you know, like big cities like KL, Jakarta, um, those cities are still developing right now. Now, in, in a major center like Singapore, if, if let's say a kid's, you know, kid's looking for something to watch on television, wants to watch sports. If he's not watching MMA, what's the competitive sport? Uh, competitive sport um, in the Philippines, it's basketball. Okay, I was in, I lived in the Philippines for four years. That's like my second home. Uh, my wife is Filipino, um, so basketball is still probably the number one sport. And then like boxing and MMA are very close, um, like top five sports. Singapore's like soccer, football. Okay, 
football is probably the most watched sport out here, I think. Okay, okay. So the world game is still kind of like number one overall. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, except here in Thailand. I mean, Thailand Muay Thai is definitely fighting – like in football kind of eclipses all sports, I think, throughout Southeast Asia, um, especially in Singapore and maybe and Malaysia, Indonesia – Thailand, you know, like it's, it's very popular, but here in Thailand, yeah, I think, I mean, fighting is, is definitely their, their, it's their national pastime. It's their sport, right? Like Muay Thai is their, is their game. Okay. So t- taking yourself out of the training, the martial arts you've done and removing yourself as a commentator, as a fan, what is your favorite martial art to watch? MMA. It is. It's mixed martial arts. hundred percent, hundred percent. Like I'll spend all day watching MMA on, like on Sundays, I'll watch MMA all day. Like if there's a like a big card, like last Sunday, like I'm even here in Phuket, and I still woke up early to watch. You know the what was it, two eighty seven or something like that. Oh yeah, to watch. Like I won't wake up and watch like a whole pay per view boxing event or like a glory card. No way. But I'll definitely wake up and watch some UFC. Do you bet MMA? No, I never have. Like I wanted, like I thought about it. Like it's so easy to, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, I never have. Like DraftKings, man. Like <laughs> I could, I could try, but uh, I think that I have a very addictive personality. I'm very like I need, I need to keep myself under. <laughs> like I need to focus on like the things that I'm like that are good for me to be addicted to, like you yeah. know, training and <laughs> healthy eating and sleep and stuff like that. Um, I could probably go down a rabbit hole with gambling if I ever got into it. So let's hope that never happens. Okay, and as a, as a personal trainer, as somebody who's trained mixed martial arts and such, what do you think the answer to extreme weight cutting is? I like our hydration tests. I think. I mean. I really do, you know, like I know it's – people are always going to find a way around the system. That's the way it is, yeah. Like people are always going to try to have whatever advantage they can have. And at least with our hydrating um, – our hydration tests, right, and making sure that they're hydrated and they have to at least piss clean several times, you know, they ha- they can't be too far over their weight. You know, like if a fighter isn't – within the realm of possibility when we offer them the fight, like if they're 30 pounds from their target weight, we won't let them fight. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's so we, like one championship prioritizes the fighter's health, you know, and if they don't pass hydration, you can miss weight. You can't fail hydration. We'll cancel your fight. And that's, that puts the fighter first. And I think that's so important because the last thing you want to do is get smashed in the head with a knee going 35 miles an hour or a head kick or even just those small gloves punches repeatedly mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Let's say you're super tough, right? And you don't, you have an iron chin. You're getting hit, you know, 30, 40, 50 times a night with violent intent and to not have your brain like surrounded by water and to be as healthy as possible is it's going to, it's going to take a toll on your health, you know, and I would love to fight hydrated. I wonder what that would be like to not have to worry about cutting weight. I'm, I'm still questioning if if I ever want to try that. I think I got one more in me. I don't tell my wife, but I feel my mom, but I think I got one more in me guys. And this, they're making it hard, but commentating. Kind oh, so, of so, so do you, edge. do you think like just random weight checks, during a year where if you weigh more than a certain number above your fighting weight, 
that you should be removed from that category? Would that be something they could do? I mean, I think some of our guys have. It hasn't been publicized. I don't know about, but I mean, we check on them. You know, like our guys have to stay in shape. Like they can't get obese, right? Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, we're very careful with, you know, how we monitor our, our fighters that are, that are under, you know, contract with us. Like it's, I think it's a great, even if we're not doing it regularly, I think that if you're going to fight it, you know, you shouldn't be 20 pounds over your weight. I know it would be hard to enforce. And it's also a little bit of a dick move, right? Like if you're going to, you know, monitor somebody's weight. Let's say maybe they just had a bad breakup or something like that. They get a little bit. They eat too, or they eat too much at Christmas or something like that. You're gonna be like, ah, oh, you got to go to middleweight. Nah, but you know, um, when you're getting ready for a fight and you're about to sign a, you know, a deal, you know, it's it's in their best interest to make sure they're not too far over the zone. But if you're a fighter in, you know, training and fighting regularly, you should be a professional, I think, and try to keep your weight as as close, you know, to it as possible. Because then you can focus on the fight and not cutting weight. I mean, how many times have you heard about the camp is just a weight loss camp? That's right. It's not about it's not about strategy. It's not about coming out there in the best shape possible. It's about making a number. And for all of most of my fights, except in Thailand, Thailand was more about the performance rather than the weight. Cause you just show up and they'd match you up on the day with somebody, you know, Correct. <laughs> like, what do you weigh? Oh, you're 73. Okay, Doesn't that matter. Guy's 76. <laughs> you want to fight that guy? He's 76. Okay. Let's fight. Yeah. You know, but MMA, it's, it's a little different. So I think it, it's a good idea, you know, especially if you're going to be like on a contract, like let's say you wanted six fights in four years, you know, maybe to be, you know, within 20 pounds, it's, just, it's only going to do you good. And that's kind of what I talked about, like the obstacles, right? It's that discipline. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to stay uh, with that organization and also be in your best shape possible? Okay. Well, this is your opinion and also speculation, but how do you think one FC would approach someone like a Patty Pimlet? Oh, I don't know. I think like, that's just, like he said, man, he just likes to eat, right? Like he. It's part of his social media profile to gain weight. Yeah. But I think in t like, he's, he's young though, man. Like he's in his low twenties, right? He's young. Yes. His metabolism is going to be garbage by the time he's in his thirties. Like he's going to have a really hard, like, but maybe he doesn't care. Maybe when he's done fighting, he wants to be the fat guy, you know? He did, maybe he doesn't care about what he, you know, what his weight is. And the only reason it's down that low is so that he can fight in the, and give himself the best opportunity possible. But you might see him as he fights over the next decade, because I think he's probably got a decade in him if he does it right. Yeah. You know, he's going to slowly probably move up. It'll probably get very difficult to make 155. But those, those like the weight cuts before, man. Like even now, some weight cuts, guys are hopping up onto that scale and they are not in good shape. They are in not the shape that they need to be in to compete in 24 hours. Like it is, it's not enough time to rehydrate the brain and, and, and get your body back into condition where you can take that kind of abuse. And the older he gets, I think it's probably going to be harder and harder for him to do that. But hey, heck man, he wants to go hard like that and... You know, make because he has some dramatic transformations. You know, so oh yeah, and I enjoy the show. He's a, he's a, he's an entertaining fighter, um, but I hope he doesn't keep doing that to himself. 
I hope he, because I think once or twice he might, something might happen. Like he might miss or he might not make weight, but now he's making the weight. So you can't really fault him for it. When guys are getting that big and then they're not making the weight, that's unprofessional, right? It's not healthy for him. It's not advisable for him. No coach worth their salt is going to tell him that, that that's the way they should do it. You know, he should probably only get, because what did he get, over 200 pounds? How big does he get? He, he gets pretty huge, man. I'm not sure the exact number, but it's it's significant. Yeah, like, and that's going to get harder and harder to do on his body. Every time he does it, you change your metabolism, you know? That, that's why I, I used to be so lean when I fought. Like, I would remove all my body fat which probably wasn't good for my joints, you know, but that would just get as lean as possible. And I would just take away all my body fat. And I still, I still missed once, you know, I still missed weight once. How much did you cut? How much did you cut on average? Uh, I would probably go from about 175 to 155. Okay. 20 pounds. Yeah. And then the last 10 would be water. 10 would be fat. 10 would be water. And I was yeah. lean at, at one at when once I got down to where I was needed. No, because I went from one sixty five to one fifty five in just fat, and then one fifty five to one forty five in water. Okay, okay. So I would go from sixty five to forty five. And and how how much weaker do you feel when you stepped in the cage at that time, or stepped in the ring at that time? Um, I don't know. Like it was a. It was a process, right? Like it was a just a downward sort of thing. You never felt a hundred. Like you felt, I felt very frail. Okay. You know, I, I definitely didn't feel good. And then as the injury started to pile up, you never feel a hundred. You know, like I when fighters always tell me, "This is the best shape I've ever been in." I'm like, "You're lying through your teeth," but I <laughs> like the confidence. <laughs> Let's See, it's go. Speaking right. <laughs> Sometimes it's true. Sometimes these guys do it right. You know, sometimes they're, this is the actual best shape they're in, but I'm like looking at them and they look like they've just, you know, ran through the Sahara with, uh, with two cups of water. So it's definitely a, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I hope people d figure out for themselves because everybody's different too, you know, and I can't imagine women. Women have a really hard time. Like their hormonal cycle and the things that they go through and the challenges they go through, dudes will never understand making weight as a woman. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point, Mitch. Now, b before we get you out of here, I got a couple, couple other questions for you. Have you been to Canada? Yes. I used to go. <laughs> I was just answering this question because some of my buddies are from uh, Toronto as well. And I used to go to Canada all the time. I went to school in Bellingham, Washington, which was about an hour away from the Vancouver Canada, Vancouver, BC. Yeah. So we would head up to Canada every Wednesday because that was <laughs> ladies' night up there. And so as a as a nineteen year old you could drink college there. freshman, <laughs> yeah. dude, we were there all the time. We were always in Canada. And I used to compete in uh, kendo tournaments, Japanese fencing. Yeah. As a kid up in Canada a lot as well. Mostly the east, the the sorry, the west coast of Canada. Like I've been skiing in uh, Whistler and uh, Vancouver and then a bunch of the small towns on the West Coast. But I've never been to the middle. Okay. And I've never been to the east uh, like Toronto and Montreal. Definitely on the bucket list. I really want to see those two places. Now, when you were there, this, this might be unlikely because you're on the West Coast. But you ever had a poutine? I've heard of them. I've heard of them. I've never had one. Okay. Okay. And next time you're in Canada, make sure you try one. It's a little different. Okay. Not, not, okay. The, not the best for diet. 
Okay, it's, it's okay. What it's, is it? It's French fries with curds on top, and then hot gravy to melt the curds across the French fries. Like like cottage cheese, a cheese curds. So it's it's the end of the ends of cheese when they're making cheese wheels. Okay, gravy, cheese, and French fries. That sounds delicious, dude. Yeah, that's the that's the <laughs> that's it is it is delicious. But again, if you're on that sounds diet, really good. That sounds really good. <laughs> right. And then another thing I want to know is, and of course our fans are going to want to know is, where can they find you on social media? Uh, right now, I spend a, I like in Instagram. I spent a couple of months really focusing on my IG and then telling these guys the stories. So I used to uh, like be really shy about asking for photos and uh, like recording stuff with these guys. You know, when I've met some superstars, man, like like DJ Eddie Alvarez, like some some major major, you know. As a fight fan, you're like, oh, well, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Like to be there yeah. with Sexy Yama or Nikki Holskin or Eddie Sauer, <laughs> or John Wayne, Paul, like some legends in the game I'm surrounded by, you know? And I used to be really bashful about asking for things. Act like you've been there, Mitch. Act like this is, you know, this is nothing new. <laughs> and then when COVID happened, like COVID, like all of a sudden it was just, I was in a studio. And I was like, what if this is the way that it, it is? Like, what if this is how combat sports broadcasting is going to be forever? What if I have to do it in these rooms and just with a microphone and a screen, you know? What if this is the way it is? And I was like, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to record some of these moments. I'm going to use, like, because I like creating TV. You know, I've always just enjoyed TV. And so with my IG and TikTok and shorts and, like, you know, uh, Facebook, I started to make these videos. And it was whatever kind of popped into my head for that day. Like maybe it was their finishing move. Maybe it was a lesson that they wanted to teach or whatever. It was just us just messing around. I wanted to record all these moments with these fighters and see if I could, because you know, when you're a fighter, you usually just fight. You don't have somebody walking around with a camera filming you. So I wanted to record some of their moments. So I've been starting to put them everywhere. You know, I make one video and then I just put it everywhere, you know, is, is I chop it up and repurpose it as much as possible. And IG is, is my, most interacted one, I think, at this point, Instagram. Okay. That one's, that one's been the most fun. And I've been able to meet some great people from around the world on in, through Instagram. So definitely hit me up there. I also like TikTok. TikTok's fun. And then shorts, those two. And then, I mean, obviously Facebook and stuff like that. But uh, social media is how I, uh, how I get my stuff out there. So it's a lot of fun to be on there. And what's the account names? Uh, Mitch Chilson, just search, just type that in there. It's one word usually on most platforms and you can check out what I'm up to. What are my latest shenanigans for the week? <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Mitch, honestly, it was awesome having you on, buddy. I could have, I could have kept going, but I want to keep you too long. I'm especially interested in the, the science behind the weight cut, but I think one FC is doing it best right now. We'll see if they can improve upon that or if somebody else comes up with something new that we can stop some of these extreme weight cuts because I really think it, it does hurt the sport to a certain degree. What is next for you with 1FC? Well, right now, it's these Lumpini shows. Have you watched the Friday fights? I have not. One Friday, have not, no. Friday fight. You haven't, dude? Oh, you guys, you have to go. It is probably the best four hours of combat sports right now going because these guys, you know um, – they come from all parts of Thailand, right? And a lot of them are, you know, fighting to send their family to school or they're fighting to build their family a house. 
You know, like some kid the other day, because I get in there and I give away these bonuses on this show. Like that's kind of been the thing I've been known for lately is giving away these $50,000 bonuses on Prime. Okay. And I brought the same sort of, and like some people are like, dude, you get way too excited. Calm down, dude. I'm just like, I know what this money is going to do for these guys. So I get really happy about getting it. And you can kind of see my enthusiasm when I give away these bonuses. But in Thailand, it's different. You're changing. Like if I give, you know, you know, Nikki Holskin or, you know, uh, DJ, you know, a $50,000 bonus, right? <laughs> Thanks. Like they've already, they're driving Porsches and <laughs> yeah. like these guys got BMWs and like they're already like they're millionaires, you know, most of these guys. But some of these kids from Thailand, if I give it, if I give them 350,000 baht, which is 10,000 US dollars, uh, I'm changing generations of their, their family. You know, they're going to build a house or they're going to buy land that's going to, you know, support their entire family. It's, 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 and to see the passion that these guys have every time they go out there and fight, it's, it's wild. They're, they're really wild. And the environment at Lumpini Stadium is nothing like it. So much history, so much historic, Muay Thai fights have gone down in this building. It's, it's, it's an honor to just even be inside the building, much less, you know, part of the broadcast every week. And that's going to be my focus, I think, for at least the next six months. I kind of just plan my days like one week at a time, <laughs> knowing that I just have to be in Bangkok every single week. Um, uh, but I do want my own gym again. I had a gym in Manila. Okay. Uh, my wife built me a gym in Manila. She, my wife is Filipino. Um, and we had a coffee shop and we had business and we were doing all these different, you know, projects. And I kind of want to get back to that. You know, I've kind of the first, you know, after the pandemic and stuff, I lost the gym and I want to get, I want to get back to that teaching. I want to, you know, impact more people's lives and, you know, create some of my own success stories and maybe have kids that I can, you know, grow into fighters as well. Um, But I would love to have that. So right now I'm going to stick with what I'm doing with the commentary and then definitely to have like my dream. I'll let you know a little bit of a dream of mine, Kobe. It's to have a resort. Like I want like, like some of these mega gyms out here, like these, the, these super camps. I want like a nice little high. I want like a mid-level, like a four-star resort. uh, attached to like a fight gym and like a recovery center and healthy cafe and all that fun stuff. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, now for the Lapini shows, it's on this, this side of the pond. Are you watching them on YouTube? Yeah, dude, YouTube, but they're early for you, right? Cause we do them at seven 30 at night. So if you're on like East coast time, you're yeah. thinking like 7.30 in the morning, but there's replays. Okay. Just, you know, get a coffee when you wake up in the morning at 10 o'clock and hit the replay. And uh, always check out the main events because the sixth fight and the the 12th fight or the, the main event, 11-12, somewhere in there, those fights are wild, bro. Wild. Right, right So much fun. All right, Mitch. Good to have you on, buddy. Hey, Kobe. Um, I hope I think Nee had to go to the beach, so give him my <laughs> yeah. uh, best regards. And I will. Uh, it was good chatting with you, man. Yeah, man. Have a good one. All right, brother. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.mostsportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. No sport.